I appreciate you guys being here. As you know, uh, by any of the correspondence that went out about tonight, by the handouts on your table as well, um, what we're looking at for this semester is how God makes men. And uh, the reason for this title is, is this <clears throat> kind of series um, initially developed out of my reading a book um, that's called How God Makes Men by Patrick Morley. And I'm not asking guys to read the book for the study because you don't have to read the book for the study. But in the book, one of the things that Patrick Morley does is he, he talks about how <clears throat> God has designed men, created men, the role of men, and, and how God makes men uh, into the men he wants them to be and, and the things that we can learn and the things that we can apply to our lives. And so I thought it was really helpful because he gives um, 10 principles as he looks at 10 men in the scriptures. And so I've used the book as a guide as it relates to the selection of men that we're going to be looking at and some of the principles that we'll look at together, uh, as well as some of the questions that we'll consider uh, during the course of the study. And so uh, just as a disclaimer, in case you want to get that book, How God Makes Men, I'm not endorsing the book as everything in there is uh, what we would preach or teach or agree upon. Uh, I'm not endorsing Patrick Morley and all that he does. I'm just telling you this book in particular was a challenging book and, um, and also quite insightful, I think, as it relates to looking at some of these men in the Bible. And so that's why we're in this series, How God Makes Men. Um, I think we would all agree as men, there's a very distorted view culturally uh, in our nation, in our world, about what men should be and shouldn't be and how men should live, act, lead, uh, and, and really, truly how we follow God and how we serve the Lord uh, in our culture, in our world today. And so I hope this will be a challenging time as we look at men in the scriptures and glean from their lives some important principles that I think are very helpful for us. And so I'm going to ask you men to do something that is contrary to what a lot of times we ask men to do. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's a word that a lot of us would cringe at, and that's to be vulnerable during these 10 weeks of our study. Uh, and not necessarily vulnerable um, to the men even at your table, but vulnerable to the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God works and leads in your life as you are reading and studying the Word of God. But also be sensitive and vulnerable to what God may be wanting to teach you and, and how God may be wanting to change us uh, as we look at this study together of how God makes men. I want to start by not only thanking you guys for being here, but encouraging you with something. Um, and again, this isn't necessarily what we would chalk up to like manly talk, but uh, I genuinely love you guys. I have prayed for you uh, entering this study, have prayed for you tonight, um, that if you're here and you're struggling... Um, if you're here and you are dealing with things in your families, in your work, in your lives, personally, spiritually, um, relationally, that God would really, again, uh, challenge your heart, my heart, when we study God's word and really conform us in, into the image of, of his son, into Christ's image that we would be honoring to him. And so that's my prayer for the study. And I think that we'll see that together as we move forward in this. Um, in his book, Patrick Morley makes a statement that I think is very important about the overarching kind of principles that we're going to look at. And he says, God makes men by showing us how we can believe him anyway in the face of what seems like impossible circumstances. And I want you to let that settle in for just a moment. Um, God makes men by showing us how we can believe in him, believe him anyway in the face of what seems like impossible circumstances. And let that sink in for a minute. Because there are probably times in all of our lives where our human tendency 
is to doubt God. Um, there are probably times in every one of our lives, if we're honest, that we have felt like we were in a position before God where our attitude, our perspective, our thoughts were, God, I don't know how in the world you can work in this situation. Um, but what God's desire for us would be, even when our human thinking would be that way, is that we would have faith and we would believe in him anyways, even in spite of that, even in spite of what might tend to be, from man's perspective, illogical, we believe in him. And so the principle tonight, the overarching principle for week one, as we look at the life of a man by the name of Abraham in the Old Testament, the principle is that we would believe God anyway. Would you say that with me? Believe God anyway. And so I want you to have that like kind of thought in your mind and heart, not only tonight, but as you go from here in the week that's ahead, that it would be in your mind, believe God anyway. When I would doubt, I'm going to believe God. When circumstances or situations seem impossible, I'm going to believe God. When no one else is believing in him, I am believing in him anyway. When I don't see a way out, I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust in him. And I think we're going to see this principle play out in Abraham's life. And I think it's going to be something that will challenge us. Another quote from the book that as we get started, I want to share with you. Patrick Morley says, if God didn't work with flawed men, he wouldn't have anyone he worked with at all. Okay. And so I say that to you right up front in this study. Because there can be a tendency when we look at biblical characters, men in the Bible... When we look at people who the, the Bible would call men of great faith or that God would use in extraordinary ways in Scripture, we can tend to put these people on a pedestal and think like, well, I, I can't be like Abraham. Look at what Abraham did and look at the faith of Abraham or look at what David did or look at what Job did. And we can put these men on this pedestal. And I think this is an important point. If God didn't work with flawed men, he wouldn't have anyone to work with at all. Every individual that we're going to look at from the Scriptures are flawed individuals. Every individual walking the face of this earth are flawed individuals that have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is true of every one of us. It's true of your pastors. It's true of your leaders. It's true of your ABF teachers. It's true of your mentors. It's true of those people that you love to listen to on the radio or on a podcast or you like to watch on TV. Every single human being walking the face of the earth is a flawed individual because they've been marred by sin and they are guilty before a holy God. And without Christ, there's no hope. But what is equally true is that the one who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and God has given us his spirit that indwells us and he empowers us to live lives that would be pleasing to him. But understand, we are on a level playing field as we get started. These men in the scriptures that honored God, followed God, obeyed God in the midst of some crazy circumstances, they were flawed men, but God enabled them, empowered them, and used them. And he wants to do the same in our lives as well. And so I hope that you're up to that. I hope that you're up to, to receiving that and that you'd be willing to follow through with what God is challenging you to do during the course of this study. Uh, so as we look at Abraham's life, we're going to start in chapter 12 of Genesis. And what I would like to do tonight is I would like to look at Abraham's life and how Abraham believed God anyway. And so specifically in, in an application process, I want us to look at three tests that Abraham endured. Three tests that really would have been prevalent in testing this, this reality of believing God anyway and see how Abraham responded to it. And so the first test would be, will you believe God's great promise 
for an invisible future or cling to the visible present? This is specific in the life of Abraham, but I think it's also a good question for us to ask. Will you believe God's great promise for an invisible future or cling to the visible present? Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 5, this is the call of Abraham where the Lord comes to Abraham and he says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who disowns you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So stop right there. Think of what God is telling Abraham. Okay? God is telling Abraham. He is promising Abraham. Abram at this point in his life. He says to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to a land I will show you. Think of this for a minute. Okay, God appears to Abram and he says to Abram, I want you to leave basically all that you're familiar with. I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your family. And I'm going to show you a land that I want you to go to. Not yet, but I'm going to show you a land that I want you to go to. And then he tells Abram, if you will do this, I will bless you. I will curse those that curse you and bless those that bless you. And you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a very daunting task that is put before Abram here, okay? Think of this. I mean, to put this in in kind of a present situation, can you imagine if God, in the way that he conversed with us today, was to appear to us, whether in a dream or in a vision or in in the middle of the night that you're at home and you have a life and it's established and you have your home and you have your family and you have all of your surrounding family and you have your area that you've known and lived in and loved and God says to you, hey, listen, I want you to take everything that you have and I want you to pick up and I want you to go from here. I'm gonna show you eventually where I want you to go, but I want you to go. And if you do that, I will bless you. If you do that, I will be with you. And through you, many will be blessed. Through you, there will be great descendants and all the families of the earth will be blessed. My initial reaction, I would assume your initial reaction, that would be to have some questions. Right? I would assume we'd be like, are you sure? God, is this what's best? Am I supposed to sell my house first? Am I supposed to make arrangements? What about my family that I'm leaving behind? Well, where exactly is it you want me to go? Because if it's somewhere with like nicer weather than Ohio, maybe I would go. But if it's going to be worse, I mean, we in our human thinking would have all kinds of problems and issues with this. And this is what's amazing to me. If you look at the response of Abram in verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Look what it says in the last part of that verse. He was 75 years old when he departed. Okay, I want you to think about that for a minute. I mean, this is a man who has lived life. How many of you ever heard the expression, don't get stuck in your ways? Have you ever heard that expression? Uh, Or when you lay down or plant roots, in a particular area. What are people saying when they say that? They're saying you got comfortable, right? You are used to, you are comfortable, you are established. I mean, this was a man that was established. His family was established. His roots were established. His home was established. This was his land. This was his people. This was his family. And God says, I want you to go without even specifically telling him yet what that land's going to be. 
and Abraham's immediate response, Abraham's immediate response, verse 4, was he went as the Lord had told him, and he was 75 years old. Verse 5, listen to this. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him there. This is a great question that I believe we see we need to be truthfully answering in our lives. And that is, will we believe God? And will we believe the great promises of God even more than we believe necessarily what our eyes tell us about the visible present? It's an important question to ask. Do we believe God and the promises of God? And another way we can put this about is, do we truly believe what God's word tells us more than what sometimes our own heart, our own mind, our own people, our own culture, our own world tells us? Do we just plain believe God more and do we believe God anyway? Even in the spite of things that maybe don't make sense, even in the spite of things that may feel as though they're working completely in the contrary against what we would naturally think. Listen to what it says about Abram in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, about Abram. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. But listen to the last part of verse 8. And he went out, listen to this, not knowing where he was going. Have you ever been in a situation where you were traveling and you did not know where you were going? Um, I am perfectly fine driving, taking trips, long trips. I can drive in the city. I don't mind traffic. I get impatient. But I could drive and not mind traffic. I, when I was in college, I used to drive a 15-passenger van for Baptist Bible College filled with college students, and we would drive to Harlem, the Bronx, Manhattan, with a 15-passenger van, having the parallel park, a 15-passenger van. And I didn't really get, like, overly bothered by that because I had been there before and I knew where I was going. And I had a guide with me that knew exactly where he was going. I was just following my guide. But I could be, like, in Akron on, you know, 70 seven and be traveling and if I don't know what my exit is or how the lanes are shifted because of construction like I'm extremely bothered over that because I want to know before I ever have to get near where I'm going where I have to turn and what lane I have to be in think of what this passage in Hebrews chapter 11 says about Abraham by faith Abraham obeyed and it says and he went out not knowing where he was going so think about this, men. Abraham did not go and obey God because he had any confidence at all in the place that he was going because he didn't know where he was going. He didn't pick up and go because he thought, oh, yeah, the land that God sent me to, that's, that's where I want to be. Everybody wants to be there. Passage in Hebrews says that Abraham was commended for this because he didn't know where he was going. He knew who it was that was sending him and who was calling him to go. Not even necessarily the ultimate destination, but by faith, he believed God, and he went anyway. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing when you think about a flawed man, imperfect man, that went as God called him to go, even though he didn't know where it was that God was sending him. He went. 
And I'll tell you, it runs completely counterintuitive to our own thinking and our own desires, doesn't it? In, spe- in particular as men, to obey the voice of God when we don't fully know what that ultimately will lead to, all the specifics of it. You know, it bothers me sometimes, if I'm honest, that I don't know all of the plan of God for my life, that I don't know all the detail. I think about when Peter was told that you're going to die for me from Jesus. I'm summarizing here. And Peter's immediate reaction was like, well, what, what about John? What's going to happen to him? Right? Before he ever even thought about what he was, he was like, what about him? Right? Our natural tendency is to want to know the detail, is to want to know all things. And purposefully so, we are not omniscient as God. And that's where we believe in faith. We believe anyways. And that's what Abraham did here. He trusted and believed in God anyway. He believed the promises of God. He believed in the calling of God, in the word of God, and he obeyed anyway. Even when the visible present was unknown, he knew who it was that was calling him and who was sending him. So let me ask you a question, guys. How are we in this area when it comes to believing God anyway when the visible present doesn't always make sense? When we don't know the details of of what ultimately presently is going to happen or take place or how it's going to take place, we just don't know. Sometimes we can get into a rut, even in our Christianity, can't we, where we get so used to doing what is familiar to us, what we've done before, but the thought of doing something that we've not done before, even if God is impressing our heart to do it, scares us to death. And so we won't do it. I think about it if you've ever been to a restaurant and you've ordered the same thing at the restaurant. I'll give you an example. How many of you have ever eaten at Woody's? Uh, that re- that's a little diner type area. So Woody's for breakfast, if you've been there for breakfast. So the first time that I ever went to Woody's, I was there for lunch, and I had um, their chicken tenders, their chicken fingers. Now, I don't know if they still do it this way. I don't think they do anymore. But Woody's used to uh, marinate their chicken in like an Italian seasoning and dressing, Um, And then they would hand bread their chicken tenders, and then they would make the chicken tenders. And they were fantastic. And they had like a buffalo sauce that I would get with it. And they were excellent. They were excellent. I went there for lunch with it. Well, I liked them so much that I was meeting someone there for breakfast one day, the second time I ever went to Woody's, and I saw that they served their lunch menu all day. And so I was meeting with someone at like 6 o'clock in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, whenever they open. And I ordered buffalo chicken tenders and fries for breakfast. And the waitress was like, are you sure, honey? You know, they're very kind there. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. And for like the next half a dozen times that I ever went to Woody's, the only thing I ever had at Woody's was buffalo chicken tenders. And so one day I was there and I asked about their chicken tenders because I, I said, hey, you guys still, because it had been a while. I said, do you still make those chicken tenders where you marinate? And like, no, we used to do it that way, but now we just make them. They're just standard fried. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I have no idea what to get. Because I've never ordered anything other than those chicken tenders. You know what I did that day? I ordered an omelet. And, and like home fries, an omelet, and like sausage. And I got my meal and I was like, this is good. Like I was like really surprised how good it was. And I was like, why have I never ordered this before? And here's why. Because the only thing I ordered every time I went in there was what I already knew I liked, what I was already familiar with, and what I already felt pretty good about ordering And in the process of doing that, I was missing a whole host of things that were probably even better than what I was getting. And here's why I share that with you guys. Spiritually speaking in our walk with Christ, we can be so guilty of sacrificing what God truly wants from us 
because it's unknown what it's going to produce and fall back on what is comfortable to us that we've always done. Let me give you an example. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. I talked with an individual tonight who shared with me that he shared the gospel with his brother, who is, I believe, 60-plus years old, yesterday, and his brother trusted Christ as Savior yesterday. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely incredible. But do you know how easy it would be to think, like, He's 60 years old plus. I've already shared because he's heard the gospel. He's probably heard it tons of times. But there was a faithfulness there to share the truth of God's word that God uses to transform people's lives. And here's a 60-plus-year-old man who now knows Christ as Savior. We could pray for him, that he would follow and know Christ or not follow no Christ, but follow Christ and know Christ to the extent that Paul said he knew Christ, that we desire to know Christ. It's incredible. But think about that. Think about that. How often do we fall short of truly sharing Christ with people because of fear of the unknown present of what that's going to produce? And so we don't believe God anyways. Can you imagine how much differently our lives would be if even though we don't know what the outcome in the immediate present will be, or what the immediate details of the present are, out of faith and obedience to the call of God and obedience to God in our lives, we believe him anyway? Doesn't God say he will be faithful as his word is shared? Doesn't God say every single time his word goes forth, it accomplishes what he intends it to? That his word does not return void? Doesn't he say that? How many times have we been intimidated to serve the Lord or strike up a conversation with someone about Christ because of the fear of the present? Because of the fear of the unknown, the detail of the present, or what will or won't be produced. And so we don't do it. We don't believe what God says. And we can say we do, but in action we don't. This is how God makes men. God makes men by by giving faith and asking and calling for obedience to believe him, even when no one else is. And even when the present circumstances or the present situation would lead us to believe there's no way. But we believe God anyways. And Abraham did that. This is what Abraham did. And again, I don't want us to miss the reality that Abraham was just a man. Just a man. A flawed individual who needed forgiveness. And yet he believed God. He acted in faith. And God would always be faithful to his promises. Faith is letting the reality of the unseen rule over the unreality of the seen. Think about that. It's letting the reality of the unseen. Do we believe tonight, guys, if we were to establish some firm facts tonight, do we believe that our God is truly alive, living, and active in our world today? Do we believe that our God is authoritative, that he has all power, all knowledge, he's ever-present, that our God is everlasting to everlasting? Do we believe that of our God? Do we believe that our God empowers us as his children? He goes with us as his children. Do we believe the promises of God, that the one who is in us is greater than the one that's in the world? Do we believe the promises of God, that his word is powerful, and his word accomplishes what he intends it to? Because if we believe in the promises of God and have faith in the promises of God, in the unseen, over the unreality of the seen, we will respond and act in faith and believe God anyways. That's what Abraham did, and I hope that we're doing that in our lives. 
Test number two, and, and you guys are probably familiar with much of this in Abraham's life, but the question of will you trust God to do what seems impossible? If this wasn't enough, that God would say, listen, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you, and I'm going to, I'm going to make your, your seed great. This is what he's going to tell Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord came to Abram and he said in a vision, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? I continue to be childless. Here's what's going on in Abram's life, in Sarah's life, his, his, his wife's life. God promised that, hey, your descendants are going to be just ridiculous in number. I'm going to make you a great nation. Out of you is going to be a great nation, and it's going to be more than you can even imagine, more than you can even begin to number. And here Abraham sits over 75 years old, and he has no child. He has no son. And here he and his wife Sarai sit, and they have no child. And God comes to them and says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham is responding to God. He's like, oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? I got no child. I have no son. You see the problem here? I mean, put yourself in this situation. God comes to you and he's like, man, you're going to be a great nation and out of you. Now, the understanding he would have had when God's telling him that is he's going to have like seed. He's going to have a son. He's going to have a great nation within him and as his offspring, there's going to be greatness there. But here he sits as a 75-year-old man with no child. None at all. And then to top it all off, God says in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. This is what God's telling him. He's telling Abram, even though you have no child, you're 75 years old, and, and this is where you're at. Look at the stars in the sky, and if you're able to count them, you can't. So will your offspring be. So will your, your offspring be in the nation that's going to come from you. Do you know how crazy that sounds? I don't know how we would have responded to that, but I'll tell you what Abraham responded with. It's in verse 6. And he, it says, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord in the face of unbelievable circumstances. Guys, here's the test and the question that Abraham answered, and I wonder how we would answer this. Will we trust God to do what seems impossible? Do we trust God to do what seems absolutely impossible? Do we believe God anyway? This is what was going on in Abram's life, in Abraham's life. A decade passes, still no son. Abraham in some way shows maybe a lack of faith. Sarah, his wife, requests of him to, to sleep with Hagar, his maidservant. And he has a son with her named Ishmael. Again, this, this is one of these things of God uses flawed men. Okay, He believed God, but after some time, that belief maybe was a little bit less. And at the beginning, uh, bidding of his wife, he, he, you know, if he has to, he will. You know, he has a relationship with his servant. She produces a son, Ishmael. Then at the request of his wife, he sends her and her son, his son, off, uh, away from them. And Abraham's now 99 years old. 99 years old. And in Genesis chapter 17 God again makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah. 
about their offspring and that Abraham and Sarah together, they will conceive, she will conceive and have a son. And Abraham's immediate reaction to that is he laughs, as does Sarah. But Abraham would believe God. And we know that Sarah ultimately would believe God because in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she's considered him faithful who had promised. You want to talk about demonstrating faith and belief even when it seems impossible. This was, an, by human standards, an impossibility. And yet, here God is, doing what only God can do and keeping his promise. And Abraham believed God anyway. Guys, I wonder, do we believe God anyways, even when it means trusting God to do the impossible? I want to encourage you with something. Have you ever had someone in your heart or your mind that you've thought, man, there's no way God could do a work in their life? There's just no way. Have you ever thought that God's impressed your heart to share the gospel with someone, to share about Christ with someone? You're like, man, there's no way God could do a work in that person. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, there is no way that God could ever forgive me. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God absolutely can. And he will. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him, you can be forgiven of your sins. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's every single person in this room. That's every single person that every single person in this room knows. That the invitation to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior is there. Do we believe God does the impossible? If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a child of God, you know God has done the impossible. He has made you and I who know Christ as those that were dead alive. He's adopted us into his family as sons. It's impossible by man's standards. And that's what God has done. And listen, guys, if you're here tonight, I don't know every person in this room, and I don't even know what your life is like when you're not at this church, but if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never truly experienced forgiveness of sins You've never truly called upon the Lord for salvation because you think you just aren't good enough. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. But Christ is good enough. He's the one who paid the price for our sins. And through belief in Christ, you can have a relationship with God no matter how bad your past is. No matter how bad your present is, you can be made alive in Christ. That's the promise of God. That seems like an impossibility. But with God, nothing is impossible. And so again, I think this should stir us. It should stir us, even when things seem impossible, to believe God anyways. That's who our God is. And that's what God does. And probably if we went around the room and said, hey, everybody share a testimony of where you saw God do what you thought could never be done, we would fill this room with testimonies in our own personal lives, in our relationships, in our families. And I believe that God wants to give you a testimony of that same. As you believe and trust and faith in him, let him do what only he can do and believe that he will do it. He's faithful. He's faithful. Test number three that comes in Abraham's life. Question, are you willing to give to God 
the one thing you most want to keep? Are you willing to give to God the one thing you most want to keep? In Genesis chapter 22, a little bit later on here, after Isaac is born, his son, who by the way, he waited and waited and waited and waited and waited for. And then God was faithful in Sarah and Abraham had a son, Isaac. God said that it's through Isaac, your, your seed will be blessed. Isaac is the one that was promised here. It says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I shall tell you. Let's stop there for a minute. Some of you have heard this story. Maybe you've not heard this story. But let me again just set the scene for you. God calls Abram, Abram, before Abram, Abram, out of his land, away from his country, away from his family, away from his roots, away from all that was familiar to him, to a land that he would show him. And when God called Abraham to go, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Abraham went not even knowing where he was going. He believed God. Then Abraham hears from God that he's going to have a son, and he's going to be blessed, and his offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, if you could number them, which you can't. And after what seemed like an impossible task late in life, very late in life at 99 years old, when God comes and tells Abraham this, Abraham and Sarah, they have a son, Isaac. So Isaac grows a bit, and after the promise of God has been seen that here's my son, he did the impossible, God did the impossible, he did what he said he would do, God comes to Abraham Abraham here, and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. Again, I I know it's easy to do this. Don't we sometimes separate the reality that these are real human beings we're talking about? The emotion, the reality of what is being asked here. I mean, I, I can't fathom this. I just cannot fathom this. God coming and asking Abraham to take his son, who imagined the rejoicing when they had Isaac. (laughs) The love that was there, the care that was there, the fulfillment of the promise of God, the faith that was there. And then God comes and is like, Abraham, yeah, I want you to take your son, Isaac, your only son was there, and I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to offer him to me. I I can't even imagine. Again, it is... It's so hard because we separate the reality that these are real human beings. But the question really is, are you willing to give God the one thing you most want to keep? God is asking Abraham to give to him something that Abraham on his own would never want to offer to God. And here's what's even more remarkable to me is the response of Abraham. Verse 3, after God calls him to this. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Can you imagine? I mean, let that sink in for a second, guys. I mean, he, he takes his son immediately, wakes up early the next morning. Takes his son, saddles the donkey, takes wood for the burnt offering, and he sets out to go to the place that God had called him to go. And it's almost not, the word isn't eerie, but 
somewhat heart-wrenching. In verse 4, when it says, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Can you imagine what was in his heart and mind when he saw that? I mean, I can't even imagine. He lifts up his eyes on the third day, and he can see the location of where he knows is the place that God has called him to go. I mean, that's, that's just that's heart-wrenching, especially as a, like a father. It's heart-wrenching to even think what was going through his mind and through his heart at that point in time. I just can't imagine the feeling of looking at that place. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, I don't believe I'm reading into the text when I tell you this. Abraham says, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Um, these words that Abraham are sharing, if, if he shared this with the people that were there, what do you think he was saying? Isaac and I are going to go over, we're going to give an offering, and we'll come back to you. I, I feel like there was very high confidence that Abraham had in God that him and his son were going to be coming back to this location together. And I'm going to prove that in a minute to you. But I believe you see that right here in this text. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took his hand, in his hand, the fire and the knife. They both went together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Again, I think you see the complete faith that Abraham had in, in, in the promise of God. Complete faith. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now I know that you fear God and seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I want you to think about how different it would be as Abraham went to that mountain and looked from afar to see the place that this was supposed to take place and how much different that would be viewed as he walked away from there after God provided the sacrifice instead of his son. In the face of God's asking us to give to him the one thing we most want to keep, will we believe God anyways? Will we believe God anyways? In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, this is why I told you that we can see from Scripture the proof that Abraham 
had full confidence in God. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is what it says about Abraham. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know what the writer of Hebrews says? Abraham considered during that very moment of the offering of his son Isaac that God was able to even raise him from the dead. Abraham's confidence was so real and true. His faith was so firm in his God that he knew even if God allowed him to follow through with that sacrifice, God was able to raise his son up from the dead because he trusted in the power of God by faith. Guys, when was the last time that we were willing to give up to God the one thing that we want to keep because by faith we believe him anyways? What's the one thing that we want to hold on to in our lives rather than give it to God? What's the one thing we're failing to trust God with that we know God wants us to believe him for, but we refuse to, we hold on to it? The other day I was going into a hospital, and when I was going into the hospital, I had to go through a metal detector. And so they asked me to empty my pockets, put things in the tray, and I had to walk through a metal detector. And as I walked through the metal detector, I forgot to take something that was metal off me. I didn't realize it, and they had to wand me, and they found it. And I thought I put everything there, but I had something left on me that wouldn't allow me to walk through that metal detector, and the the detector found it. Now, I'm not, I didn't mean to do that, but I believe many of us purposely hold on to something that God is asking us to completely empty ourselves of as we seek to serve him, believe him, and by faith respond to him. And we are guilty of holding on to something that God wants us to let go of. And it hinders our fellowship with him. It hinders our walk with him. It hinders our testimony for him. It hinders our workmanship in Christ Jesus. And we hold back. Will you believe God anyway, even with that thing you most want to hold on to? I love the way the author of the book that we're referencing put this. He said, the advantage of walking with God in faith over the years is that you actually come to a place where it is harder to doubt than it is to believe because you've seen him act so many times before. Let me say that again. The advantage of walking with God in faith over the years is that you actually come to a place where it is harder to doubt than it is to believe because you've seen God act so many times before. Guys, my heart for you as men is that you would know the faithfulness of God in your life. That you would know how good and gracious and kind our God is as your heavenly father that you would know that when you have faith and confidence in him, when you believe God anyway, when you trust him, when you give it all to him, he will not let you down. He is faithful. He is right and true. He keeps his promises. He empowers you. He enables you. He goes with you. If we would believe him anyway, Wow, what God would do. And wow, what God wants to do. It's a principle we see played out in Abraham's life in so many different ways. In the midst of great trials and testings, 
he would believe God anyway. He would believe God anyway. And God would show every single time just how faithful he is. Now, we have some questions at your tables we're going to have you guys discuss. And I'm going to ask you just to be honest with each other. But these are not easy questions. The first question is, what is God calling you to trust him for that makes you say, are you kidding me, God? How could that possibly happen? What is something God is asking you to trust him for based upon his promises, based upon his word, based upon what you know to be true of God and the desire that God has for you? What is he asking or calling you to trust him for that makes you say, are you kidding me? I mean, there are plenty of things in Abraham's life I mean, I think about the fact that Abraham's told you're going to have a son and you're 75 years old. You're still going to have a son. You're 99 years old. That would make me be like, are you kidding me? Like, how is that possible? But are you going to believe him anyway? How about offering his son? Are you kidding me? Now, I don't know if it's on that level for you, but what is it in your life that you would say, man, God is calling me to do this, to trust him, to do this. And my reaction is like, are you kidding me? No, he's not kidding you. He's being serious. And will you believe him in that? And guys, very practically speaking, when was the last time you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone? When was the last time that you had someone that you know does not know Christ, that you felt the prompting of the Spirit of God, and the natural reaction is like, are you kidding me? I'm not sharing with that person. Are you kidding me? I can't share in this environment. Are you kidding me? I don't know what I'm going to say. Are you kidding me? What if they ask questions? What if they reject me? What if they don't like me? What if they make whatever? When was the last time we believed God anyway? And in faith, we obeyed him. Number two, what was the operative principle in Abraham's life according to Hebrews 11, 8, 11, and 17? And how did that principle play out in the three tests we looked at in this chapter? We covered those verses. Talk about that at your table. Number three, which of Abraham's three tests or some other test are you currently facing? Is God asking you to do something that seems impossible? Is God asking you to give up something that you so dearly want to hold on to, even though you know God wants you not to hold on to it? Is God asking you to trust him when you really don't know what's going to happen next? And if it's not one of those three areas, those general areas, what is the area right now that God is asking you to trust him in, to believe him in, with whatever it is you're currently facing? And how is God showing you you can believe him anyway in the face of what seems like an impossible circumstance? I don't know what God has you going through right now in your life, but I can promise you this. Whatever it is you are going through in your life right now, as a child of God, it is for your good and the glory of God. Whatever it may be, it is for God's glory and your ultimate good. I don't know what it is. And that's hard sometimes. I'll be honest with you. That's hard sometimes for for all of us to think through. But that's the promise of God in his word. That's the promise of God in his word. It is for his glory and our good as his child, whatever it is we're enduring. And listen, guys, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your savior, you know without any shadow of a doubt, you do not have an authentic relationship with Jesus. That if your life ends tonight, you don't know what holds next for you in eternity. If that's you tonight, God is working in your life and has you here on purpose to hear that message. To hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and have forgiveness of your sins and have everlasting life in him. That is an offer of salvation that is available to everyone in this room through Jesus Christ. 
God has you here for a reason. If you're a believer, you're here for a reason. If you don't know Christ, you're here for a reason. And so what I really want you guys to do at your tables, discuss these things, be honest with each other, care for each other as you're answering these questions. If you don't know Christ as Savior, be bold enough to say at your table, hey, I really don't know if I even truly know God and have a relationship with God. But talk about these things, and we'll wrap up in just a few minutes. Uh, when it's time to, to leave, if you guys want to stay at your tables a little bit and talk, you can do that. Uh, I don't want to rush you out of here. Um, we don't have to stack the chairs, remember, tonight. We can leave everything as it is. But let me just, just wrap things up by challenging us about this area of believing God anyways and trusting in God. God has shown himself faithful, correct? And God has shown himself worthy of our faith and belief, right? He has shown himself to be faithful and to be a true, loving, caring God to us. Um, We have shown ourselves time and time again to be unfaithful, flawed men, right? We would all agree with that. But understand, God has chosen us and loved us and called us anyway. And so there's zero confidence that is left for you and I to have just in ourselves and praise God for that because if our confidence needs to be based upon what we can do, we got nothing. We have nothing to offer. We are flawed, sinful human beings apart from Christ. We can do nothing. But in Christ, who God has called you to be as a child of God and me to be as a child of God is far different than we were without Christ. And God has called us to be men that will trust and believe and have faith in him no matter what it is we have in our lives that we're facing. Uncertainty, what seems like impossibility, what seems like something that just are insurmountable things, God wants us to believe and trust him anyway. And I promise you, if our faith is resting in Christ and we are building upon that foundation and we are obedient to him, God will every time do what he's supposed to do. We don't have to worry about God not doing his, his work. He will do his work but will we believe him and trust him in that? Uh, guys, I, I want to just encourage you before you leave tonight. Um, we have tried to put some tools available for you as it relates to sharing the gospel with people, inviting people to come to hear about Christ at the church. Um, we have these available at, at the two uh, information centers, one on the wall over here, one in the main auditorium. So you know they're there for this Sunday as well. One of them is an Easter invite. It just says our service times. There's a QR code they can scan that will take them to the website that gives detail about Easter services. These are for us to be able to hand to people and say, hey, I don't know if you're going to church anywhere for Easter, but if you want to come, here's a, here's a church I go to. It's a great church. would love for you to come and hear about the resurrection of Christ and hear about who Jesus is. And if you need a ride, I'll pick you up. If you want someone to go with, I'll go with you. But these are Easter cards. And then we also have these You Are Invited cards that are for any Sunday. You can hand these to someone that you know is hurting, that is looking for answers, that is searching, that you've shared the gospel with. You can say, hey, listen, you should come to church with me sometime. You're invited. We personally want to invite you to come. These are tools that we can put in our hands to love and care for people and invite people. Uh, so, So make sure you check out the Welcome Centers for these either today or on Sunday. You can grab a couple of those. If we run out, that's out there. We have tons more. We've ordered a bunch of them. And you're going to hear more about these invites in the couple weeks ahead as Easter approaches. Uh, So we want you to take advantage of that. And then before you leave tonight, here's what I'm going to offer to you. And I'm going to do this every single Thursday. Um, If you are here and you need one-on-one prayer, 
Uh, if you are struggling with something personally, if there is something that you're, you're battling as it relates to sin, as it relates to something in your family, as it relates to something personally, if it's a, a prayer request that you have, if you need prayer, I'm going to stick around each Thursday night, and there's a number of guys that are going to stick around, and we're going to be out in the foyer area back there right as we dismiss you. And if you need someone to pray for you tonight, we will pray for you individually tonight uh, and, and listen to what that request is. So if something's heavy on your heart tonight that you need prayer about, please just approach me in the foyer, and I might pass you off, depending on if there's a lot of guys, I might pass you off to another guy that's going to listen and pray for you. I will pray for you. Um, or if you're here tonight, and I'm doing this every Thursday, if you're here tonight and all that we've been talking about, about a relationship with God, believing and trusting in Christ, is something that is foreign to you, you don't understand, but you're like, man, I, I need that. We want to share the gospel with you and how you can know Christ tonight and how you can leave here with a relationship with Jesus by believing in him. Equally, every Thursday night, I'm going to be out in that foyer for as long as it takes. If you need to speak to someone about a relationship with Christ because you don't understand it or you want more information or you want to know Christ, see me as well before you leave or any of the guys that are going to stick around to be able to pray for you. Um, that's every Thursday night for this study we're going to be doing that. Now, here's why else I tell you that. There are plenty of seats here that you can be inviting other men, whether they know Christ or not, whether they are attending a church or not, um, invite other men that need to be with men who know the Lord. And if they don't know Christ, they're going to have an opportunity to know Christ. If they're a believer who's not walking in fellowship with God, they're going to have an opportunity to be able to be prayed for and confess that. If it's someone that you know is struggling, invite them to come because we need this. We all need this. Every one of us are men who are in need on a daily basis of forgiveness from God, of encouragement from one another. We are called by God to do these things for one another. And once a week, take advantage of this opportunity to bring other men with you because they need it too. This is a rare thing that we have 115 guys in this room on a Thursday night to be able to sit around tables and talk about the things of the Lord and study the word of God. But what we could be to other men that need this is, is something that we can't even imagine. And I believe as we faithfully are stepping out in faith and obeying God's prompting voice for the men that we have in our lives that we know need Christ or need encouragement in Christ, it's not a threatening thing to invite them to come and have a great meal and study with a hundred other guys uh, that are decent men uh, to gather together on a Thursday night, okay? So I want to encourage you with that. Uh, and so just as we wrap up before I pray, if you need prayer specifically, if you need to talk to someone specifically, I'm going to be out there. A few other guys are going to be out there as well. And uh, see us out there so we can pray for you before you leave tonight, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love. And God, I thank you for your faithfulness. Um, God, it is, it is right and it is true that the psalmist has said that you are a good God, that you are a faithful God to, to all generations. You are faithful and you are good. Uh, God, we trust you. You are worthy of our, of our faith, of our trust. God, you are worthy of our life's commitment to you. And so I pray for each person in this room, each man in this room, that no matter what happens in our lives in the week to come, that we would believe you anyway. You're worthy of that, God. And so I pray that you would help us to obey that voice. I pray for anybody in this room tonight 
that does not know Christ as Savior, that the Spirit of God would not leave them alone until they come to know Christ as Savior. God, that they wouldn't, I pray every guy in this room wouldn't, that doesn't know Christ wouldn't even be able to sleep tonight until they confess that Jesus Christ is Savior and they confess that they need Christ and that you would work in their heart and open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Don't leave them alone, God. I pray for the believers in this room that if we're embracing areas of sin that you would want us to confess, God, that we would not have rest until we repent and confess of that sin that is breaking our fellowship with you. God, I pray that the men in this room who have people on their hearts and minds that you are prompting them to share the gospel with, that they wouldn't be able to just be at peace or ease until they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that you're burdening their heart to share with. God, I pray that we would put into action what we say that we believe and that we would believe you anyway no matter what comes for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.